Jonathan Wiseman here, and we are doing another episode of The Grit. With me today, my guest, good friend of mine, many years, Jason Wright. How are you doing today, Jason? I'm doing wonderful. Right, Thanks so for having me on the show. I'm glad to have you here. Your your show, this show today is actually going to be a little bit interesting, a little bit different, uh, because you have uh, your story of getting into business is a little different than most, and I love it, uh, and I can't wait to share that with everybody. And you've already exited out of some of your businesses yep, and ventures. So we're going to get into those stories, learn a little bit about that. Brought your lovely wife with you. Hi, Holly. How are you? I'm good. All right. Thanks for coming. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, the rest of the audience, y'all aren't going to get to see her anymore. But that was her little intro. Actually, if you tune in next week, uh, you will get to meet Holly because she's going to have her own show on here. And uh, really looking forward to that. That's going to be some cool shit. So uh, let's get right into it, Jay. Um, first, tell me the name of the business that we're going to talk about. Tell me what type of business it was, and then uh, we'll get into how you started. Yeah, and before before we jump into that, I certainly want to acknowledge certainly, you know, the efforts that you're making not only with the podcast but with this uh, digital marketing ad agency that you've built. You know, not only am I am I proud, you know, of what you've built here. I appreciate but that. I'm I'm really excited for what you're doing for the business community for entrepreneurs out there because you and I both know. Uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, they start a business based around a product or a service that they have some experience around typically, but they don't necessarily know squat about sales and marketing, about customer service, sure. about operations. And so this new era of podcasting combined with digital ad, SEO, Google ads, and, and just kind of that overall thought leadership mentality People don't know about it. I've been speaking about this for probably five or six years now, doing keynote sessions within the industry, uh, different um, different conferences and things like that. And I've been trying to get the word out about position yourself as a thought leader. Do things like this. In fact, just two weeks ago, I was doing a uh, keynote in Denver at a conference. CRN, uh, the channel company, put on great tech conferences all around the world and uh, I was doing a session actually was filling in for a guy who had to back out and so um, we were talking about this we were talking about thought leadership and specifically about podcast marketing and when we got the feedback from the show because they rate every show you want to get top two box scores you you know seven being the best you want sixes and sevens uh, all the feedback was loved all the talk about podcast marketing, want to hear more, want you guys to build more of that content in your upcoming session. So kudos to you, man. Thank Good you, job on what you're doing. And it's great to get that feedback. This is such a new industry and we are, I've done the research for the last year and a half now. We're the first pers- com- first company in the world to offer really podcasting as a marketing service. Not saying that people don't do them, they don't add the video or the audibles and that they market themselves with it, but nobody's actually taken the concept and taken the, the, the meat of it, the assets, broken them down and using those to, to market the business. So I, it's great being a leader in that. Uh, but the difficult part and sometimes the scary part is not knowing, not having anything to gauge your success on, Yeah, you know, your success or your failures to know how you're doing. So having that feedback really means a lot. And I appreciate you brought that today. Yeah, no problem. And, you know, and that's what I keep telling my wife. I, you know, she's, you know, out there promoting her books and her ministry, trying to grow 
her ministry and uh i've been telling her for months i'm like johnny's got <laughs> the answer you got to get with him you got to create a podcast this is how you're going to get the message out about your ministry about the books and and all those things so anyway it's great i'm a big fan so Thank i'm you, glad to be here so uh our business uh, you mentioned it was a little kind of atypical route into entrepreneurship certainly an unorthodox path so the company was called texas group uh, it was started back in 2004 as what they referred to as a managed services managed services provider. So basically, we're a company that is uh, an outsourced IT option for small to mid-sized businesses. So companies of all shapes and sizes uh, that don't really want or have the skill sets necessary to handle their IT all the things related to their marketing and man or networking, managing their servers, uh, help desk type services. And then when you think about all the, the new and disruptive technologies in the industry now, like cloud computing, AI, um, IOT, all these different things, it's such a complex world. There's so many facets, so many tools, applications related to managing IT. Sure. And so- Do you see the industry changing from what it used to be? You know. When I think IT, and it's there, there's so many different areas to dive into that niche uh, as a business model. But when I think, and I think a lot of people think of IT, they just think of Ethernet cables and getting your computer to work and get on the internet. Yeah, you know. And now with you know, and before big companies would have their own servers, server rooms dedicated for their whole entire company. Have you seen that change over the last few years with cloud computing, cloud servers, or are people with big infrastructures still utilizing the same technologies that they were five years ago, 10 years ago? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, some of the same technology and, and same methodologies are still being used, but the disruption is, the change of pace is, is unprecedented, right? So you said cloud computing, right? that's changed the whole paradigm on how businesses operate and how they go to market, right? So a couple years ago, uh, used to be, you'd go out and buy servers and buy networking equipment and buy computers and all those type of things. And that's how you ran and operated your business. Sure. But much of that now has shifted to um, a, a cloud computing or an off-premise model such as, you know, it's the same as like, um, Blockbuster, right? Blockbuster, we all know is no longer in business, right? Yeah. So uh pretty interesting interesting story there but um used to be you'd go to the video store you'd drive up there you'd walk around the store for two three <laughs> five ten minutes you'd pick out your sometimes videos. two or three hours <laughs> yeah and and you'd come home and then you'd end up not taking them back on time you'd have all the late fees and and then your wife would be griping at you didn't take the movies back so yeah. We could have just bought it. <laughs> could have just bought it. So along comes Netflix, which coincidentally, Netflix, the owner of Netflix, went to Blockbuster initially with the idea of streaming video. And Blockbuster's like, are you crazy? All my stores are so profitable. Why would I sink any money into this? He blew them off. So the guy goes out, starts Netflix. And as we all know here, it's one of, yeah. been one of the hottest stocks in the market for a long time. And so that's one of the many shifts that we've seen in IT over the years is Customers don't have to feel held down by the big box vendors spending huge capital expenditures to buy this equipment. They got to carry it on their books, amortize it. It's a heavy expense, heavy burden, shows dead on their books. And so at the end of the day, it's moved to more of a, um, a shared, shared risk model, right? Now, uh, just like you plug in to the wall outlet to get your electricity, 
Companies plug into the cloud. They get all their uh, data and compute power from the cloud. They pay a monthly. And you're nowadays you're allowed to pay for what you're actually using. And you pay, and it's a pay-as-you-go, pay-as-you-grow. Yeah. Right. So it's very efficient that way, and it allows businesses to be much more operationally efficient. And yeah, you can it seems s- like a much more efficient model. Well, you can scale so so fast, right? Yeah. You You know, when you start your business, you're you're very careful about your expenses. The last thing you want to do is go out and spend it on a bunch of of equipment that's not, you know, directly tied to revenue, right? It's yeah, equipment and bandwidth you're not using yet. Yeah. So that's what our business. That's what the business was founded on, and you know, back at back in. You know, the early 2000s, even the late 90s, you had a lot of IT service providers. You know, we call them, you know, three guys in a truck. And what they did was uh, when something broke in your in your office, uh, you called these guys and they gave you a rate. They said, yeah, I'll come out for 150 bucks an hour. You didn't know how long it would take them to fix. You didn't know ultimately what the expenditure was going to be. You didn't have any options. You didn't have any options. You didn't know how long you'd be down. Right. You had no control over the situation. And so we were really uh, one of the pioneering companies bringing this managed services idea to the market. And, and the, the original founders who started the company actually uh, came from an enterprise background. They were two, actually both executives at Schlumberger in Schlumberger's uh, global IT outsourcing group. They owned a company called Sema. So they weren't just oil and gas then, they were IT back then too. And the idea was we're going to bring this uh, enterprise support model which is remote healing uh remote support um automation you know call into a service desk we'll resolve it remotely that kind of service but they packaged it and priced it you know so it could be affordable for small to medium businesses so that's how texas group got its start 2004 had hyper growth first couple of years and then a couple of things happened uh first you know we had the financial crisis right so that really clamped down on a lot of budgets, a lot of businesses went out of business, right? So you lost contracts and, and so forth. Um, uh, then the CEO who started the company, he's the, the, my other two partners were older, so he had some health issues. He had been doing the sales. He couldn't run and gun anymore. He'd been in the hospital for a couple of months. So they essentially went out to people in their network and they said, look, we need a young, smart person who can come in and not only drive sales for us, but really build a sales program for us. And because me personally, I'd already had uh, a background in technology sales. I'd been very successful at a few other companies. I was young. I was well networked. So people knew me in the marketplace. Uh, Were you working with the company yet at no, this time? I wasn't okay. working with the company. And, you know, I wanted to start my own business. And, and this is kind of uh, an interest. This is kind of what leads to the idea of how. So I got we know it. we know where we, where you're about to go with this, with that part of the story, and then bringing you on. What were you doing at this time for business? So I was working at a um, uh, a technology company. I had been working at a company selling big corporate uh, phone systems, big PBX systems, voicemails, call centers, uh, IVRs. You know the systems yep. you you call and punch buttons and. It doesn't sound exciting, but they were very expensive systems. They were highly complex. And so I had been doing that for two or three companies over the previous eight or 10 years. And it falls in line with IT. IT. Falls in line with IT. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, um, I, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time now, you know, when I give advice, I'm like, one thing is if you have any inkling you want to start a business, start it when you're young. 
<laughs> the thing about us was we started a family very young. As you know, we were parents at a very young age, early 20s. You know, along with being parents comes debt. You know, we and then my wife had a, a great career in advertising, made a lot of, you know, made a lot of money, really good job. Uh, but she had a passion to be in ministry, to grow her relationship with Christ and to really help other people grow their relationship with Christ. And so uh, so we made a very difficult sacrifice for her to stay home, be with the kids and build the ministry. And so because of those things, I wasn't in a position where I could do what Johnny's done many times over and starve a year or two while you build a business. So these guys were looking for the sales guy, the guy come in and build the program, the, the, uh, a, fr a mutual friend of ours who's a CEO of another very successful high growth services company in the HR space. They said, you're looking for a sales guy. You got to talk to Jason, Wright. He's your guy. He's well networked. He's aggressive. He's, he's really good. And he's, he's, he's specifically skilled in hyper growth, fast track growth. He'll bring you business right out of the gate. So that's how I got to Texas. And so when, we came to the table to talk about the opportunity and ultimately compensation. Uh, there was an opportunity for equity right out of the gate and it would vest over a period of time. That's nice. That doesn't happen often. Not really. No, but I think, you know, really smart entrepreneurs. Absolutely. will look at key individuals, key personnel within their organization, guys and gals that they can't afford to lose. And a lot of times give them equity. they'll give them some equity. Well, and it's, I'm seeing it a lot or hearing about it as well, a lot more nowadays than they used to five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, 10 years ago is kind of unheard of right. uh, unless you were exactly right. begging for it. Yeah. And, uh, most time you didn't get it. And these days now, uh, it's, you're seeing it a lot more. Yep. And it's nice because it keeps your people loyal, keeps them engaged and keeps them doing what they need to do. And they've got equity in it. So they're going to bust their ass to make it happen. That's exactly right. And that's that's ultimately what happened. The way we structured it was um, I would get a certain percentage again that would vest over time. Of course, I negotiated a, a lesser vesting period than they had <laughs> proposed. But then I, I said, hey, guys, why don't we put some some uh, growth in there? Why don't we put some accelerators in it based on production, right? So for instance, for every million dollars we grow the business in top line, you give me an additional point or point and a half in equity. And they thought, man, that that sounds good. I mean, it's based on growth. Why not? You benefit, we benefit, everyone sure. makes out. And so that's how it was set up. I don't think they ever intended that we would grow to the point where I would <laughs> max it out because they did put a cap on it. What was that cap at? The cap was at 8%. Okay. So they gave me three out of the gate. Then they get then the accelerators would build to eight percent if I could hit those targets. And they never thought you'd hit them. Not not only that, not only did we hit them, but then they came back to me, you know, about a year, year and a half before, and and gave me a bunch more equity because they thought, look, we we you know you're a valuable part of the the company, the institution, and uh, we want to keep you tied in That's for really nice. for as long. So I was going to say it was either that. Or try to buy you out and liquidate you. Yeah. Well, they were smart on that front. So they, <laughs> they structured it in a way that if I were to leave, they could buy the shares back at book value, not at market value. Wow. So when you're a small business owner, you take all the money out of the business anyways sure. to avoid the, of course. the heavy corporate tax. So book value is, is wouldn't have been, they would have bought it back for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, so they what, had me. 
That's what they you call smart. strategy. That's strategy, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I got into the business. That's how I became an owner, and that was the beginning of a very productive and fruitful relationship. And I remain very, very close uh, to these partners again. It, you know, we we all have non-competes related to the exit and so forth, but if an opportunity presents itself again down the line, we'll, we'll definitely take a look at it. So are you currently in a non-compete with that type of business with the guys that – the whatever group bought the company yeah yeah there there's a couple different elements to to the non-compete i'm in now so when we sold the company about four and a half years ago we had a two-year non-compete which we all stayed on then they were they essentially exited the business well let's go ahead and back up a yeah. little bit so how long were you with the company before the acquisition so let's see, that was around 2008. In fact, somebody just told me um, next week is my 10 year anniversary. We sold, you know, four, four and a half years ago. So I was there about six years. Okay. And then so you were there six years, grew the company, scaled it, and then sold, capped out on your max at your 8%. Yeah. And then after you sold the acquisition, did you stay on the team? Yes. For, and so obviously there was some type of. I'm still there now. There. Okay, so I'm you're there at the now. Company now, yeah. Okay. So I stayed on. I well, congratulations on your ten years. Yeah, yeah, That's pretty, appreciate it. They give you a Rolex or what? Yeah, the, those days are gone. <laughs> they they just gave me more work to do. Yeah, they don't do that shit anymore, no. do they? No, <laughs> they're like you can buy your own. That's it. But they, um, uh, I post sale, I was immediately branded or promoted to sales manager. I mean, I was our VP of sales. In the previous company, okay. I, I became a, a, what they called a territory sales manager for a year. And then they were essentially just grooming me to be the managing director. So I was going to run the P&L for all the, all the South Texas offices. So Austin, Dallas, San Antonio, Corpus. So uh, then I became the managing director. I did that job for a couple of years. So I essentially had the P&L res responsibility for the whole branch. So like a GM, right? Um, I mean, how cool is that, though? And for you, too, to go from starting a sales gig, getting put with the company, you grow the company, you scale, you cap out, you cash out because it sells, and then they bring you back on and put you in a basically a GM position to run it, still paying you a salary. Yeah. I mean, it, that's like the dream. Well, and that's really <laughs> the model of, of the company I work for now, which is all covered. They're um, a wholly owned subsidiary of Konica Minolta, which is a huge global technology uh japanese technology conglomerate and so um that's the model right so the 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 acquisition strategy by all covered was essentially we're going to go out and we're going to find the best it companies across america and initially build a nationwide footprint right field engineering offices and that's what the the acquisition so, strategy was initially. Are, so that's what they did. They were just going and buying them all up. Yeah, they were buying customer base and they were buying, you know, market share and, and making sure we had brick and mortar offices all across, across the, the globe. Gotcha. And then uh, ultimately, once we had offices across the country, then the then the uh, strategy shifted to more uh, strategic buys. So value added services you know, some of these next gen technologies and offerings that are some of the disruptive technologies I mentioned. And so it, initially it was about let's build scale and then let's add value, you know, to our clients and to our portfolio. And that's really where we're at today. I think they've made roughly 30, 35 acquisitions. I think we were number 24 or something of that nature. 
And the point is, is that they would come in and it wasn't like a, a PE play where sometimes they'll come in and, and lean it out, you know, because they, sure. le they lever the company up with debt to acquire it. So then they got to, they got to, you know, cut, it. they got to cut fat. They got to, yeah. they got to cut costs so that they can get it profitable again. And, uh, but that's not what, that's not what the play was here. So they not only look for the talent in there, but they look to provide them upward mobility, a path to be promoted and so forth. And so I'm not even the MD anymore. So I did that for a couple of years. And, you know, the funny thing is, is I, I would say, and, and others in the company would say it's, it's the hardest position I think in the company. And, um, uh, to me, the effort wasn't commiserate with a salary in that role. And, and mama kept looking at my paychecks and she's like, these aren't as big as when you're at Texas. And <laughs> so eventually she, yeah. kicked, she kicked me in the pants and, and, and said, get back to sales. So I, we had a, a new group. It was, uh, you know, enterprise sales. So you went ahead and jumped back. And I see that in many different business models where people jump back to sales positions because you have the opportunity to make more money. If you've got the grit and the grind, That's you get out there, you hustle, you do your thing, you can bring in whatever amount of money you need to make. That's right. And, and again, that's, uh, you know, I love being in leadership. Uh, I, I especially love the strategy around it. And you do that naturally. Do and, it naturally. And your wife does too. Yeah. Uh, but my heart is really in client engagement, dealing with customers, being face-to-face -face with customers, and I'm really good at that that element of it. And so... We, you know, as the company was growing, it was all about, look, we, we're a big company now. Let's start going after larger enterprise clients. And so they created this very small uh, select team to go out and sell enterprise accounts. And uh, we had some turnover there because it's really hard to sell large sure. accounts. It's hard enough selling a service, right? Yeah. You know, if it's a, because you're essentially selling human capital. You have to be good at differentiating yourself. If you don't have a product or a widget, you know, that's features and benefits, bells and whistles. It really becomes hard. So you're the commodity. That's right. I'm, I'm the commodity. Absolutely. I mean, it's all about relationships and that's what I like also nowadays. And, and I'm, maybe it's cause I'm getting older. I'm not sure, but it's, you do business with people that you like. That's right. That you get along with, that you can kick it with, that you can see yourself with your families hanging out. It's not a bull, more. It's not any more about you know shiny ball syndrome or flashy disco balls and buying whatever you think looks cool or sounds cool or nobody's gonna you know put a stick on you or pull the wool over your eyes or it's really about relationship building now, yeah. especially once you start getting you know above a six figure deal, it, it becomes it's all relationship. You are the commodity. You're what sells. Yeah, and so if you don't have the right people in place that are ready for that or can produce. I can see why there's a little bit of turnover there. Yeah, and, and you know, going back to Texas, and, and this is a really a big part of the story. So I get there. I think at the time I'm 28 years old. They hire another guy at the same day they hired me, and, they, and, and it was basically a race to the top in terms of sales. And, sure. and even though they knew I would likely be How'd the sales leader, <laughs> they, they created a little friendly competition. And, and I'm friends with the guy who they hired at the same time. He ended up working for me and he's gone on to a, a very successful career in technology sales himself. He, he, he works at some big companies, but you know, what I did was I focused, you know, those first three, six, nine months. And this is really what I was good at, at just generating activity, generating uh, a funnel, building a funnel, generating sales. And so they were 
very quick to, to realize, okay, this guy at least knows how to sell, right? And I'm learning the industry. It was a little bit of a different industry. So I'm learning the industry, but as I'm out there selling, you know, I'm sitting across from customers and I'm starting to hear the same repetitive things. You know, what had happened, right, is other companies saw how successful we were and they just started copying our model. Sure, always. Right? When you're at the top. People are doing what you do, Absolutely, right? all day long. So I'm going in and meeting with people and I don't sound any different than the guy before or after me, right? And I, it was very hard to differentiate. I'm saying one thing and they're like, well, the other guys say they do the same thing. So what else, right? So, so how do you differentiate yourself? That's exactly right. So I spent that first year just putting sales on the books. I'll never forget uh, uh, Dark Tan. You know, the tanning salon company was my very first client and a very loyal client. And they remain a client of the of the company, you know, 10 years later. But we were sitting in a Schlotzky's and they were looking. So they had had some outages with their equipment, went down. You know, the money uh, is really tied up in their salons and the tanning beds. Right. So yep. they needed a good disaster recovery strategy. So we moved them to the cloud. And back then, cloud was still in its infancy. A lot of people didn't know about it. They didn't know what it was. And so we're sitting in Schlotzky's, and I, I, they, I give him a, a proposal, and uh, Robbie, the owner, he's looking at it, and he's like, man, this seems like a lot of money. And I said, well, hang tight. you know. And I pull a napkin over, just like something you might see on the movies, and I start scribbling some things down. You know, and I'm like, you know, we start doing ROI modeling, ROI metrics, you know, okay, what does your average salon make? Okay, so then you could kind of back into what it's not making when it's down, when they can't process transactions. Sure. Then I'm like, well, how much the last time you bought all your IT equipment, how much was that? How much was the maintenance on it? The software renewals, right? How much was even the, the power you you have to uh, pay every month. You reverse engineer the overhead and show him where he's going to save. And by the time we got to the bottom of the napkin, he goes, okay, I get it. Where do we, you know, let's get started. Yeah, and, where do I sign? And, but that was something that just came instinctively to me. I didn't necessarily think about that, but then I, I, I dialed into something. I'm like, this is how you have to sell these type of services, recurring revenue services, selling human capital. You have to you have to be able to justify the cost, and you got to be able to look at ROI in terms of immediate ROI, not four or five years down yeah. the road. Yeah, well, and I see that this these days as well as uh, people they're not as patient as they used to be when it comes to ROI and the different means to invest into growth and scaling. They need to see it quick, otherwise they don't consider it a win. That's right. So. So yeah, that, so so that first year was all exploratory for me, and um, it seems like you were able to separate yourself from the other guys that were doing it, though. Well, this is the the best part of the story, I think. So uh, what we did was, I eventually went to my other partners and I said, "Guys, look, we got to spend some money." I mean, their, their their traditional way of selling was going into a client, opening up their laptop, and running through fifty slides about me. What do we do? How do we do it? Right. And um, old marketing sheets like leaving behind one pagers. Yeah, people and don't want to see this shit anymore. Yeah. And it just wasn't my way of selling. Right. So so I put together this this plan to rebrand the company, 
to bring us into the next generation in terms of marketing, which meant automating a lot of people don't realize like you can automate so much of your marketing and take that burden off of you. Right. And that's where they turn to guys like you. I did the exact same thing. You weren't in this business then, or I would have hired you back then. <laughs> but, uh, but the point was it was going to be a very expensive proposition. Sure. We were, I remember it was around 140,000 that I wanted to spend to build out our whole new web, mobile presence, all of our demand generation, uh, rebrand re the company as, as far as look, feel, color, taglines. And then one of the best things I did was we created a playbook, which was uh, going to be based on how do we differentiate? And then it would be a sales, it would be a tool for the sales team to be able to go in and sit in front of a, cl a client and be able to say, here's how we do business and here's why you're going to do business with me. And the funny thing is, is at the time the business was, you know, it was only a couple of million, $140,000 on marketing is insane. No, very few people are going to spend money on it. So I use this concept of uh, power of tens. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Yeah. So, so the, the idea was instead of, you know, when you go into a lot of marketing companies and I hear you talk about this all the time, it's again, back to the thought leadership. They're going to, the first thing they're going to ask you is, well, what's your marketing budget? How much are you spending on ads? What, what keywords are you searching for? It's, it's all tactical stuff. It's not strategic. And I went through probably 10 or 12 different marketing companies, you know, Google ad companies, PR firms, different types of ad agencies until I finally found one. And I'll, I'll give my, my friend and, and colleague and mentor in some ways a, a plug. Uh, Please do. Uh, Jonathan with uh, Brand Extract. He, he was the guy that we, we ultimately hired. They're more of a strategy firm around uh, marketing. But the idea was instead of just going in and say, hey, I want to grow my business 25% or 30%, you know, or just saying I'm going to hire, I'm going to grow sales by a factor of adding headcount, right? Which we all know doesn't work. Instead, we kind of went on this journey together to look at the business all across the business, across customer service, marketing, sales, operations, and figure out where can we make incremental changes, small incremental changes, easy to enact, that when you collectively bring them all together, you got 40% growth, 50% growth. So we started looking at ways we could improve operational efficiency, right? Ways we could deliver services and, and it would reduce our cost by 10%. And then we looked at ways that we could um, upsell additional services into existing customers and that would grow revenue by 10%. And then net new customers through marketing, 10%, right? You start adding all this up and before you know it, I was telling the partners, I said, listen, I think we can grow as much as 40% with this plan and you'll have your money back in nine months, but let's be conservative. I'll say 25%. And they bought into it. They bought into me. And, uh, that later that year, we, we were one of the, the winners of the Houston fast 100 companies and I'm holding the trophy cause we grew 44% wow. that year. So that's cool. And a lot of that's, you know, God's blessings. It's, it's faith. Some of it's luck. You know what I mean? It's I'm not saying I was a genius, sure, but instinctively I'm in front of clients. I'm feeling something. I'm hearing something and I'm feeling we got to go a different direction. I, I trusted my, you also my had a broad enough idea though, that it was going to be a little bit of everything that you compound together to make that happen. Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients, when I asked them to see their P and L's that I want to look at their books, 
they look at me like I'm crazy. And you, you know, it's, you can easily look at a PL statement or the books to see where the funds are going. Like you're saying, you can say 5% here, 3%, 2% here. It all does add up. But when it comes to marketing strategies, advertising, ROI, cutting overhead, whatever you can, a lot of that plays into the marketing strategies because it might make more sense to get rid of a certain employee or staff that's not producing for you. And then you implement a standardized or automation, as you were saying earlier, to replace that that's going to give you guaranteed ROI versus just paying somebody to sit there and, you know, punch a clock. Yeah. And you and I've, uh, I think we've talked about this before and I know that you've, uh, I think even done this in some instances, but if I'm a guy who's, uh, in the marketing business and I'm with a customer that maybe has a lot of potential, but doesn't see it, I'll, I'll even take a risk and say, Hey, you open your books to me and we'll do a revenue share. You know, you give me a piece of your business, a small piece of equity based on growth. And I'll do the marketing Absolutely. for you because I know I can launch it into the next hemisphere. And so all day long. Well, yeah. and sometimes it's, you know, cause people don't want to bite off sometimes financially what it costs to do it right. That's right. And if there is enough, that's the big one. If there's enough potential in it, it's like, all right, look, put a little skin in the game, but we'll build it on equity because we know that we can get the ROI on it. So yeah. the equity play is when it comes into factor. So that definitely works. So where are you at now? You're, you're with the same company. 10 years in, just having your 10-year anniversary, Yep. content, happy with what you're doing, you're back on the sales side of things. What's next for the business? Uh, so. What's your, what, what's your game plan? What are you doing next? Yeah, so uh, I am very happy at the company. They've been good to me. Uh, it's a good opportunity, and we continue to thrive. Uh, I was just telling you before we got on the air that uh, we're seconds away from closing the largest deal in company history. It's yeah, be a, congrats on that again. That's a amazing. really nice services win uh, down in Florida. We would have the contract by now, but the hurricanes are kind of getting in the way of that. I heard. Weren't God bless. Uh, prayers out to those guys. Yeah. We know a little bit about that here in Houston. But um, so so things have been really good. So I'm not necessarily in in a hurry to leave, but I am itching for an entrepreneurial uh, opportunity again. And so um, what I'm doing in the meantime is I continue to grow my network and it's a different level of networking. Right. When I was a younger guy, I was networking with commercial real estate agents and and, and, and guys uh, that sell marketing services and sell accounting services and legal services. And we would all trade referrals. And I even created my own group and I had a website for it. We used to part, we'd come to your clubs and throw parties. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, they were great, man. I still listen. People loved it. I didn't even get much value out of it. They got more value out of it. Absolutely. They weren't given as many leads as I was given, but we were having fun. Yeah. They didn't have Uber back then. They didn't have Uber back then, but they, but the point is, is that we, um, now the, the networking over the last couple of years, has really um, has changed gone dimensions. to a, the next level. And I'll tell you where it came into play. So when we were approached about uh, selling Texas, um, there were actually two groups. So All Covered came to the table and their representatives, Tobias. And, and if you remember uh, Drake McLean that used to own the Astros, he owned a uh, company within his portfolio of companies that was an IT services company out of Temple, Texas. And they were looking for a really good IT services company to buy that had a strong management team. And, and so they were looking at us too, but when the market turned down, a lot of his assets up were tied up in oil and gas. And so he backed away. I went to the other two partners. I said, hey guys, let me make a run at this. I'll buy you guys out and I'm gonna keep running the business. And so I did, and I didn't know anything about 
capital raising. I didn't know anything about uh, invest investments, raising money. I didn't have, the, but I had contacts from networking. So I just started putting out calls and I, I promise you not, it wasn't probably two or three hours. I had three or four people calling me back. Hey, I got this PE guy that wants to talk to you. I got this banker that wants to talk to you. It's a hot industry, right? These are reoccurring revenue models. We're, we're like an annuity that will just pay out over the years. So long story short, I got plugged into a, a, an investment firm out of Dallas. Um, they were going to give me some money. I, 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 obviously, I wanted to buy as much as I could with bank debt, right? Because once I paid it off, well, then sure. I own all that equity. So I got uh, you know a couple million dollars in bank debt, a couple million dollars from these investors, and then I was going to have my partner seller finance a piece of it. In, in other words, I was going to leave them some, some roll-forward equity, a small amount. They would sit home on their account couches and still maintain a small ownership in the business and I put together an offer and and it was a great offer I was proud of it the only thing was uh, and if you know anything about the, our industry now is that the valuations are out of control we are getting such high valuations you know most businesses might get you know, small businesses might get two or three X earnings uh, larger businesses get Is that annual earnings yeah. Yeah. Of your EBITDA, you know, and so then you get businesses that that might be in the 10 to 50 million space that might be generating, you know, eight to 15, 20 million in EBITDA. Those guys are getting five, six, seven times earnings and then really large companies, multi-billion dollar conglomerates. They might get, you know, double digit valuations, but very rarely. Well, companies in our space are, are getting, you know, much smaller companies like us are getting those really big valuations. And, and we got a really, you know, uh, we got a big offer. You know, I can't really disclose it, right, because yeah. uh, that's, that's secret. But it was a very good offer. And at the end of the day, I wasn't willing to try and battle with a big conglomerate and try and, and take on too much debt. It wouldn't have made sense for me. Yeah. So instead I happily, uh, Sold. you know, we, I, I actually went to the partners. I said, this is an amazing offer. It's an amazing company. They can do great things for us. And we, we had really, we had hit that inflection point in the business, right? So rebranding and all the wonderful things we did shot us to the next level. But then we hit another inflection point. Yeah, where, where you exhausted we, your efforts and you're kind of at a ceiling until something else happened. Yeah, you, sure. you need different tools. You need higher end skill sets and labor. You need all these things. And so we were going to have to bring in some investors anyway to grow to the next level. And All Covered solved that problem for us. So we that's, exited. That's and it was great because... Um, we got most of our money up front. There weren't any, you know, we, we all signed actually at the time we signed one year contracts, you know, sometimes they want these owners to stay in the business for three, four years. And this is the same company you're a part of now. Yeah. Okay. But they're already operationally mature. They have great resources in place. They knew they didn't necessarily need the leadership. And so and what's so, next for you? Yeah. So all that being said, uh, I've now, um, have, relationships with a lot of these private equity guys. I've also sat on uh, CRN, which is, is a top industry publication for the IT industry. They put on the events. I've been on their board now for about five or six years. So it's given me an opportunity to grow into a thought leader in the industry nationally. I know these companies all across the country and I've, I've advised and, and helped a lot of them out. So do you think you're going to make another play at it? I think I will someday. I, I think when when God opens up that opportunity, when, when the right company kind of falls in my lap, I've already got the infrastructure built, right? I've, I've, I've got, I've got the investors, I've got friends and family money. 
you, you know, my whole deal is again, you know, I'm not in much of a different, you know, I, I, I've built a nice wealth, a nice nest egg. I'm not rich or anything, but I've done well for myself and my family up until this point. So, you know, I don't uh, want to eat into that. We have a daughter going to college next year. So rather than again, start a business and, and maybe not earn for a year or two, I'm going to look at eventually buying or even partnering with a few other friends in the industry to 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 buy into another where you're business. not starting from fresh yeah you'll find a, a business owner who was like our guys were you know eight years ago they've hit their ceiling they've outgrown their capabilities we come in buy them out and then we take it to the next level and then we sell out at some point we i got you well i think that's a perfect place to end it i mean and it's a great story a great journey of how somebody comes in as a sales rep they take over departments they grow the company they cap out on equity and percentages they sell they go through an actual acquisition cash out and then they're still brought back on in a gm type position to run the company and still make salary with all the benefits i mean that's the fucking golden story bro <laughs> that's the goal that's the goose that laid the golden egg it is man. it's not without hard work though absolutely and, and i'll say one other thing grit you talked about grit our ceo today talks a lot about grit there's a great book out there by angela duckworth called grit and i it's one of many you know i like to read books i like to listen to books more now but that's a good one so your viewers might check it out it'd be, absolutely it'd be a good read i appreciate you coming on the show holly appreciate you hanging out with us we're going to look forward to seeing you next week. Appreciate y'all tuning in today. This is Jason Wright. I'll leave his contact information. If you're in the IT world looking for one of the top leading guys in the IT world, you'll be able to get a hold of him. Appreciate y'all tuning in. This is The Grit, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you very much.